Tim Smith, Republican candidate for Indiana's 3rd Congressional District, back from the southern border. For those of you who missed it, he took a trip to the southern border over the weekend, and he's joining us live in studio right now to tell us how it went. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. Thanks. Uh, wild ride for you over the last you know, 48 hours, so it, we appreciate you back here. Thank you. Let's just start plain and simple. First of all, how did this trip even come about? Yeah, well, anybody who watches the news for five minutes hears about the southern border, and it is the number one issue. Whether that's anecdotally or from a polling perspective, it's the number one issue. I thought I understood the issues. I pay pretty close attention. I'm fairly educated on the topic. Uh, but I had to have the first-person experience to really understand and emotionally appreciate what's going on. Is that why you wanted to go to get this first-hand experience? Yes, and that includes the education. of the. It's not just the emotional side of it, mm-hmm. and that's, that's profound and powerful, much more so than I expected. But look, I wanted to talk to the customs agent's first-person I wanted to talk to whoever would talk to me, local people. Uh, it was phenomenal. So where did you go exactly? Yeah. Well, we chose to go to El Paso. I mean, there's there's a lot of places you can go. You hear about Eagle Pass. Uh-huh. You hear about Arizona. El Paso, the city of El Paso, is literally on the border. Uh, in fact, it's there's there's an interstate, and then there's the wall, and then there's the Rio Grande, and then there's an interstate in Juarez. You can and and. My Facebook Lives on Tim Smith for Indiana Facebook page, I have two different Facebook Lives out there that I did last week. You can see it for yourself. In one instance, um, I was literally by the razor wire where there wasn't a wall. And in another instance, I was in a place where there was a wall. Mm -hmm. So we tried to go to both and see what both were like. So let me tell you this, or ask you this: When when you were there and you're along Eagle Pass, or you're not, you're in El, El Paso, Paso, right? You're there in El Paso. You're seeing some of these things. Did you actually see immigrants coming to yeah. and from while you were there? Not while we were there. Uh, we went to two places where we thought it might be likely, and where the local officials told us it might be likely, but not not while we were there. Who did you talk to then while you yeah. were there? There were twelve um, legal officers, two constables, seven customs border agents, and a U.S. marshal. Um, they were some of them were happenstance. Some of them were, hey, call ahead. We mm-hmm. uh, we meet us kind of thing. But it was um, it was shocking. The first place we went, Kayla, was on a military base, and on that military base, there there is temporary housing where mostly minors and some adults are being held. Um, they wouldn't let us in, as you might guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we did get to go to the front door and talk to them. Um, and. I, that, that's where I spoke to U.S. US Marshal. And here's what she told me. And again, I, I should have assumed this was the case, but I didn't really know. Her job, singularly, is to take a child who has crossed the border, who has an appointment, which is what they call it, somewhere in the U.S. Some refugee center in the U.S. has agreed to accept this child. It's almost always because a relative of the child has said, hey, if, if Junior shows up, when Junior shows up, I'll take him. Mm-hmm. So we, the taxpayers, pay for a plane ticket for both the marshal and the child, and the marshal personally accompanies one-on-one that child from this military institution to the airport, flies to the city of choice, rents a car, drives the child to the refugee center, drops the child off, drives back, flies home, pick up, picks up the next one. Now, again and again and again. Think about the inefficiency. Think about the cost. Think about the humanitarian crisis and challenge that that creates. Probably the number one takeaway was I intellectually appreciated, I academically appreciated what was going on down there. Man, did I underappreciate the emotional and humanitarian yeah. toll. 
just yesterday, Kayla, there was another story about two people nearly drowning and our heroic border and customs agents saving their lives. I spoke to, as I mentioned, seven or eight of these people. And when I did, it, it was tense. I mean, you could see in their eyes, hear in their voices, they are stressed out. Uh, anyone who thinks that the current open borders policy is kind mm-hmm. is wrong. It endangers the people coming. It endangers our law enforcement officers. It endangers everybody in these border towns. The, we ended the day. So I started at this military institution. Um, then I went to a, the, the place with the razor wire, did a Facebook Live, talked to some uh, border customs guys. Then I went to the place with the wall, did the same thing. But then we ended at a church in El Paso, um, which is the primary refugee place for the church. And the reason we went there is because some of the people we were with locally said, that's where most of the illegals who cross go. And it's a, it's a refugee center mm. and a refuge. So when they go in, even if the law enforcement are chasing them, once they get in the church, their hands off. While we were there, there were dozens and dozens, almost, almost all young men with a lot of marijuana smell, I should tell you, mm-hmm. hanging around the outside. Mm-hmm. I didn't see a single child. I think I saw two women. Um, my biggest concern in all of this is who is now crossing the border. Now, where I was, it's mostly Hispanic. However, anybody who's watched the news recently knows that in Southern California, in the last few months, it's majority young military-aged Chinese mm-hmm. men. And now we know what they're doing when they're getting here because we're starting to follow them. Uh, the danger that's crossing the border, the danger to our citizens, the danger, danger to the, the border towns, it's off the charts. But maybe the biggest part of the humanitarian crisis are the kids coming across unaccompanied or getting there by way of cartels mm-hmm. who are sex trafficked. Of course, the drugs that flow. We hear a lot about the drugs that flow. We don't hear as much about the sex trafficking that's coming across. And we don't hear as much about what these people are paid. We hear that the cartels make four, five, six thousand per person to bring somebody up to. I didn't know, but I learned from a person who was uh, accompanying me for the day. Anybody in the U.S. who picks them up gets paid $1,000 per person to take them wherever they're supposed to go. I did not know that either. 1000 bucks. So hmm. literally, while we're driving around, the guy we were with, who's a um, retired detective and uh, public officer, he literally was pointing out, see that SUV, see that car, see those people getting in? Three people, $3,000. See that five people, $5,000. There's an entire industry now built around bringing illegals into America. Yeah, that's a good point about the sex trafficking, the human trafficking. No one really talks about that part of it, which is odd because human trafficking is about to become the number one money maker mm. in the United States, mm. which in its own right is kind mm. of sickening to mm. think about. Really quick, Tim, just because we're way up against the clock, I, I just want to know, point blank, how have your thoughts changed about the Southern border? I mean, certainly you had some opinions and uh, preconceived notions about it pre-Southern border, but now that you're back, would you say... Yes, your thoughts have changed, worse than you thought. I mean, where do you stand now? Well, uh, I'm more resolved than ever that Biden's policies have failed. Finish the wall, enforce the laws. Let me give you one more stat. There's something called immigration parole or parole immigration, depending on who you talk to. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. You know what parole is? It's when we let a person out of jail. Yeah. Immigration parole is when we, we catch somebody and the president decides to literally let them in. Catch and release. Yeah. 
So, well, th- this is actually a little more specific than catch and release because with parole, they're they're legally okayed to be in. Yeah. Okay. So they have papers under President Obama and President Trump for the entire duration of those twelve years. We averaged only five thousand people per year. Okay. Obama and Trump, five thousand people per year. Biden, one point two million last year. So. So you ask how it's changed. Number one, I appreciate the humanitarian crisis, and I'm more resolved than ever as a member of Congress to lead on this issue. And by the way, what the Senate just did is not leadership. Guaranteeing 5,000 people a day is not leadership. Um, So emotionally appreciate the humanitarian, more resolved than ever. And we have to have a change in the White House because something like immigration parole comes straight from the White House, Kayla. I, uh, I t- I've been there before myself back in July of 21. I came back thinking this is the, the biggest threat facing our country, securing no our southern border, which I didn't I wouldn't have said that probably going down. Yeah. That was my big takeaway when I came back. Tim, I could talk to you as always for hours about this. Maybe we'll have to have you back on. But in the meantime, podcasts by Federated Media.